Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Matthew Bloomfield. Today, we're going to look at how to reheat a Christian. It's good, I got the laugh out of the way. I can focus on on the, the serious parts of the message now. If last week, uh, some of the things that I shared uh, resonated uh, with anyone, this message is for you. If you want a closer relationship with God, uh, this message is for you. It may not be for everyone, um, but uh, this message is for those who feel they need it. I'm going to be giving six points. Last week I gave Five. So if you want to gauge where we're at in the message, you can do that. Uh, there's going to be a lot of Bible verses. Uh, some of them, most of them will be on the screen. Uh, some of them we will look up uh, together in our Bible. So if you've got a Bible, make sure you have it out with you. Uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the chance to come and study your word like the song uh, that we just sang, uh, Lord, we, uh, we want to be closer to you. Lord, we, we need you. Uh, we need you to work in our hearts and our minds. Lord, especially as we open your word, we ask for your guidance, that the Holy Spirit would speak to us uh, through your word, uh, that we would come to know more about your character, uh, more, more about you, Lord. That's what we want today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Sometimes, uh, you don't, sometimes when you get up to speak, you don't know if um, the message is the right message or not. But uh, this morning, as Tim was going through the lesson, uh, he seemed to pick up all the main points uh, from the message. So I'm certain that God wants us to hear this and perhaps wants to hear some of it, wants us to hear some of it twice. Um, so I'm just going to get straight into the points of how to reheat a Christian. The first thing we need to understand is that God wants to help us. Last week we, in fact, no, we read it this morning. Last week we read through a message in Revelation chapter 3 to a group that Jesus gave to a group of lukewarm Christians. Uh, last week we, we looked at some of the things that were wrong with them. They, they were neither hot or cold. Um, they, were, uh, they were lukewarm. And they thought that they had everything made, um, not only in physical riches, but uh, spiritually they thought they were all that. But uh, Jesus said that they were none of those things. They thought they were rich and increased with goods, but Jesus said they were poor, miserable, blind, and naked. I touched on this last week, but the reason Jesus gave us that message was not to make us feel bad, um, but because he loves us. In Revelation chapter 3, 
in verse 19, he said, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. God rebukes us. He corrects us. He points out our faults uh, because he loves us. And it's vital that we understand uh, that God loves us if we want to reheat a lukewarm condition. In Hebrews 12, verses 5 and 6, Paul uh, writes, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. God didn't leave us hanging after giving that stern rebuke in Revelation chapter 3. He shared with us the remedy. In Revelation 3 and verse 18, he gave the remedy to the lukewarm church. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Uh, may see. The gold, uh, as we study, we learn is talking about faith. The white garments, of course, Christ's righteousness applied to us. The eye salve is wisdom and grace that we may discern what is right and what is wrong. But notice in this passage, where does it say the remedies come from? What does it say? Where are they from? Yes, it's buy from? Yeah. So these remedies come from God. They're not something that we can sort out ourselves. Uh, part of the problem of the lukewarm church, the Laodicean church, was they thought they could sort everything out themselves. Um, but God says, buy from me. Now, when it says buy from me, it's not, it's not saying you have to give money or, or give something over in exchange for God to help you. Instead, it's something a bit more like this. In Isaiah 55 and verse 1, God says, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Yes, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. So, according to that, who can buy from God? Everyone. Specifically, it says those with no money. So, only those who realize that they have a need uh, can buy from God these things. And of course, it's not talking about actual wine and milk, it's metaphorical, spiritual. So those who realize they have a spiritual need, anyone who hungers and thirsts for a closer experience with God can have it freely. Revelation 22, verse 17, it reiterates this point. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him who hears say, Come, and let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, 
Let him take the water of life freely. And this is a pretty important point. Uh, Jesus repeats it. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. We need to know that God is on our side. He wants us to be saved. God wants us to experience all these things that he's talking about. Uh, the, the faith and the righteousness. Um, he, he wants us to have discernment. He wants us to have that I self. And you know, it, it may sound like a simple thing to understand seeing we're sitting here in, in a church, but a lot of people don't understand that God is on our side. He wants us to have these things. And First Timothy, uh, we read, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Saviour, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Not only does God want us to be saved, uh, but he, he wants us to understand the truth. God's not in the business of hiding stuff from us. He's not in the business of keeping secret knowledge from us. Uh, he, he wants us to understand one of the biggest issues uh, that I come across in the people that write into me is they don't understand that God wants to help them. They have this warped idea that, that God is just waiting to zap you as soon as you do something wrong. But that's not what the Bible teaches. God is in the business of saving people. He's in the business of, of teaching people and he's in the business of, of changing people. Uh, 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We need to understand that God wants to help us. He's not giving us a rebuke and, and leaving us to sit there in, in our own mess. He's... He's giving it to us so that we can realize that he wants to help us. I know I repeat that about half a dozen times, but it's vital that we understand that God is on our side and he wants to help us. God's desire for us is so great. Notice what Jesus says here. Pay close, uh, pay close attention to this verse. <laughs> All of them, obviously, but uh, Jesus says, uh, yeah, this is in, in a prayer uh, about, that he has about unity. He's asking God to, to bring his people together. He says, I in them and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Did you catch that? How much does God love us according to this verse? Yeah. God the Father loves us as much as he loves God the Son, Jesus. God's love is perfect. It's not varying degrees of God's love. Oh, you're a bit distant from me. I love you slightly less. I won't do quite as much for you. No. God's love is perfect. It's a little bit hard for our, our 
sin-scarred minds to understand, but his love is absolute. We need to ask for help. In verse 19 of Revelation 3, uh, that same message, it says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. God calls us to repent from our lukewarm state. You see, as soon as we consent to give up sin and acknowledge our guilt, the barrier between us and God is broken. That barrier of sin comes down. And that's when God can really begin to start his work in in changing us. Once we Let's carry on. Proverbs 28 and verse 13 says, He who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Does that remind you of another verse in the Bible? What verse does it remind you of? It reminds me of a verse. So, Yeah, 1 John 1, 9, isn't it? Jesus said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And a couple of verses back from that, he says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Once we, by faith, take God up on his offer, if we take him at his word, just as it's written uh, in these verses, once we seek him for help, once we confess our sins to him, he promises to what? What does it say? Yeah, that's what God says. It's as simple as that. (laughs) You know, we can complicate it. Uh, But if we go to God and ask him for help, he promises to give it to us. Uh, notice how Paul describes this process. He says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Saviour, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What are the things in that verse that God promises to do for us when we ask him for help? What are some of the things? Open floor. Yeah? Firstly, yeah, have mercy. That's the first one we come across, isn't it? He saves us. Yeah, you see that? According to his mercy, he saved us. What's the next thing? Yeah. Washing and regeneration and renewing the Holy Spirit working in us. What's the next thing? Yeah. We're justified by his grace. Um, and what happens because of that? Yeah. Not bad, eh? Yeah, I would say. Good. <laughs> Point number three. We need to abide in Christ. 
Let's turn to Revelation chapter 3. If you're not already there. I'll wait till you get there before I read it out. Revelation chapter 3. Verse 20. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. What does Jesus want? Yeah, he wants us to open the door. He wants to have a relationship with us. Uh, you know, in this picture here, he wants to come in uh, to our lives and he, he wants to commune with us. He wants a relationship with us. Let's turn to John 15. John 15 and we will well, we'll start in verse 3. He says, uh, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Verse 6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so will you be my disciples. Does that sound like a, a lukewarm situation to you? No. Not at all, does it? It's, it's a living relationship, isn't it? Uh, abiding in Christ, and lots of wonderful things happen in, in that passage. Yeah, and we can, it says, by that relationship, we can bear fruit. God is glorified by that sort of relationship, it says there in verse 8. Certainly not a lukewarm situation, and if anyone is in a lukewarm situation, this is what we want. This is what we want to head towards, isn't it? Now, your question possibly is, what does it mean to abide in Christ practically? How can we take advantage of all these things that God is willing to give us? In other words, how do we start and grow a close personal relationship with someone who is invisible? Well, the thing is, it's actually really easy. Um, that's why so many people miss it. Let's start with a human relationship. If you come across someone that you think would make a good friend, uh, what's, what do you, what's your next step? Where do you go from there? Yeah. Well, you introduce yourself to start with, don't you? Uh, then what might you do? Yeah, you might sit and talk with them and share a bit about yourself. Eh? Yeah, and once you've shared a bit about yourself, uh, you might ask them to share a bit about themselves eh? and get to know them. As you spend more and more time together, uh, you'll find all the points that you have in common. And before you know it, you're best friends. 
time spent together. That's it. Not complex. How does that work practically with God? It's prayer and Bible study, isn't it? That is us talking to God and God talking to us. Prayer, it is said, is the opening of the heart as if to a friend. We're to tell God everything. Your wants, your joys, your sorrows, your cares and your fears before him. This is God we're talking about. You can't burden him. You can't wear him out. His heart is touched by the things that are going on in our life. Share everything that's going on in your life with him. And the funny thing is, God already knows what's going on in your life, doesn't he? He wouldn't be God if he didn't. But we still have to do it. Because it changes our hearts when we share it with God. A great place to get a, a good picture of prayer is the book of Psalms. Um, as we read through it, we, we see different men who open their hearts up to God. And you know, sometimes when I, I struggle to know what to share with God, I'll open the book of Psalms and, and read one or two. And normally uh, the things in there start to, <laughs> uh, 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 what's happening in my life and uh, what I need to be sharing with God. That's right, light to our path, eh? Whether we know it or not, and we talked about this a little bit before, the world has warped our understanding of God's character. In fact, this, is, this has been Satan's main aim for 6,000 years. Well, more than 6,000 years, potentially. So it is important that in that relationship we let God tell him, tell us about himself. You see, when we read the Bible, uh, we discover that God is love, isn't he? He's full of mercy, goodness, gentleness, kindness, patience, forgiveness, joy, peace, self-control. Those fruits of the Spirit uh, that we read about that are available to us, that's God's character. <laughs> it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, after all, and the Holy Spirit is a member of the Godhead, isn't he? God speaks to us mostly uh, through his word, the Bible. That's why it is absolutely essential that we spend time every day reading and studying it. And before we open it, uh, we need to ask God to reveal himself to us through his word, uh, through the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Uh, to read the Bible um, lightly and without God's guidance is it's not only dangerous, it's potentially Fatal. Um, it's the reason why we have thousands of different denominations in the world all claiming uh, to have the truth. Uh, we need to read the Bible under God's instruction, under his guidance and in his power. Point number four. We need to allow God to change us. We need to believe what God says in his word. So, we're spending time with God each and every day in prayer and in Bible study. We're abiding in Christ. We're, we're taking on board what he says. 
What good is that? What benefits uh, does that give to us? You see, once we understand that God is trustworthy, uh, we can start to believe some of the promises in his word. Uh, We can start to understand that the things that God talks about are in fact for us, uh, for our benefit. We're going to have a look at a whole bunch of Bible passages shortly, but I want you to understand uh, that when the Bible talks about, uh, uses the phrase, in Christ, it's short for saying in a relationship with Christ, abiding in Christ. So, we're going to have a look at some passages, and we're going to find out what the benefits are for abiding in Christ. What good does it do us? As we go through the verses, there's quite a few of them, um, I'm going to ask you uh, what the benefit is given. So, engage if you're not. First verse. So it's going to be a little bit rapid fire, but Romans 6 verse 11 says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the benefit in that one? Yeah? What does it say? It says, dead to sin and alive to God. That's good. I don't like sin. I'm sick of it. <laughs> be good to be dead to it, eh? That old sinful Matthew. Just wish he would cark it already, eh? He promises us that when we're in Christ, we're dead to sin. Romans 6.23 For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What's the benefit? Yeah, it's pretty clear. Not bad, eh? Uh, these are getting better. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's the benefit in that one? Yeah. Not only do we get Christ's righteousness, uh, he works in our hearts as well to change us. Romans 8 and verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. If we're abiding in Christ, what's the benefit? Yeah, yeah, no condemnation. That's good, eh? Anyone enjoy being condemned? (laughs) No. (laughs) That's a good benefit, no condemnation. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 2. Uh, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, uh, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Oh, it's a little bit harder, but what does it say? What's the benefit? It's only sanctification. We get to be called saints. It's eh? uh, good. My fellow saints at the Masterton Church. That's good. We're abiding in Christ. We become saints when we... God sanctifies us, doesn't he? 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 22. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that phrase again, he is a new cre- creation. 
All things have passed away. Old things, sorry. <laughs> Not all things yet. That comes later. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. What's the benefit there? Yeah. New creation. We become a new creation. Now the Bible talks about the old man of sin dying and God making us a, into a new creation. That's wonderful, eh? Galatians 3.28 There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. What's the benefit there? Yeah, we're all accepted. You know, there are, there's so many uh, different scales of human in the world. Um, people rank others by so many different things. Um, you know, slave or free, as it says, uh, male or female, uh, Jew or Greek. Um, people put different values on different people's lives. But God says, no, no, you're all one uh, when you accept Christ. Uh, salvation is open to everyone. Uh, that's what it's saying. Ephesians 1 and verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What's the benefit there? Yeah. <laughs> Covers everything, doesn't it? Blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Wow. God's not holding back, is he? <laughs> what we talked about at the beginning. Um, God wants to help us out, doesn't he? Uh, he's making that pretty clear in these verses. He says, I'm just going to give you every spiritual blessing if you're abiding in me. Wow. Colossians 1 and verse 28 says, Him we preach, Jesus, we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. What does that mean? Well, wisdom certainly comes into it. We're presented perfect before the Father, aren't we, when we're abiding in Christ? Wow. That's good. Rather that than presented as ourselves, eh? We're presented as Christ before the Father. That's right. Second Corinthians 2 and verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. What's the benefit there? <laughs> yeah. Always leads us in triumph when we're in Christ. Wow. It means you can walk out of here in triumph if you're abiding in Christ. You can walk, no matter what lays before you in the day, you can go ahead in triumph if you're abiding in Christ. Oh, we read this before. I should get Barry to recite it, but it's up on the screen. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. Yeah. We bear much fruit when we abide in Christ. The, the, that list I went through before, the characters of God, the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we get to bear all of those. What were some of them? Goodness. Long-suffering. Patience. Anyone here not need more patience? Julie, does Barry not need more patience? 
I won't pick on anyone else. I know you two can handle it. Um, forgiveness. I, anyone think that they're too forgiving? Probably not, eh? Anyone not joyful enough? Sometimes when I look out, it seems like there's not much joy at all. Um, so I think we could all use a bit more of that. Anyone want more peace in their life? When we, when we uh, look at the world, I think we could all use a bit more peace in our lives. I won't ask about self-control. Oh, that's the next verse anyway, so there you go, did that one. We need to be abiding in Christ. We need to be following God with all our heart. You know, as much as, as, much as we say um, these gifts of God are free, in certain respects, they cost us everything we have. But the thing is, the things we have in the world are not worth anything anyway, are they? Compared to all the, those blessings that God gives to us, uh, you know, if we forsake our sins, I think I'll probably talk about that later, don't I? But if we forsake our sins, if we put them to one side, who cares? I'm done with them. Let's have those blessings. And that same verse again says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Whenever you see the word be in the Bible, when God, Jesus, is speaking it, that word has intrinsic power. When God said, let there be light, what happened? There was light. Uh, When the leper came to Jesus and Jesus said, be clean, what happened? (laughs) So when God says, be something, in that command is the power to do it. God doesn't say, do something, and then you know, we can't do it, and he mocks us for it. No. He gives us the strength to do it. Remember, we looked at in the beginning, God wants us to succeed. He wants to be close to us. So every time you see something in the Bible and you think, oh, I can't do that, Lord. If it's written in God's word, he gives us the power to do it. Jeremiah 29, a well-known passage. Let's have a look. It's very applicable to what we're studying. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a a future and a hope. Isn't that what we talked about? Uh, God is on our side. He wants to help us. That's what God is thinking to us. Uh, When you call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. Didn't we talk about that as well? Abiding in Christ? Uh, when we're communing with God, praying with Him, and He's talking with us. He says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. We all have... Uh, oh, no, not that yet. <laughs> we all have an inbuilt desire to be passionate about something. You might not feel it 
at the moment. We all want purpose. See, the problem is um, if we don't have passion and purpose in our lives, uh, then we will find it in somebody else's life. We'll turn to TV, uh, we'll go and watch YouTube, we'll play video games, and we'll see someone else having passion in their lives about worldly things, and we'll live vicariously through them. So we're getting second-hand garbage when we could be getting first-hand blessings. Um, if we don't have a passion for God's kingdom, uh, we'll be getting, we'll find passion elsewhere. Um, so it makes sense to abide in Christ and get your passion from him. Don't let somebody else dictate uh, what you should be passionate about. We need to make a decision to fully surrender to God. It's not about half measures. Only total submission to his will. We must make a choice to leave all sin and apathy or lukewarmness behind. We need to decide to do that. We need to rely completely on God to transform us. We can't be like those people in the Laodiceans. We can't be relying on ourselves. It doesn't work. Jesus said that if something is causing you to sin, that if something is separating you from God, what should you do with it? Cut it off. I suspect, and I include myself in this suspicion, uh, that we may all need some surgery. Whatever it is. If you're finding your, your passion... You're finding your joy in other things. Might be TV, someone with a more ex exciting life than you. Facebook, same deal. YouTube, might be alcohol or tobacco, if you're getting your joy from that. Perhaps uh, certain people in your life are, are leading you away from God. Maybe it's your own laziness. Maybe it's your own busyness. We need to cut it out, so to speak. We need to cut it out. Uh, none of these things are worth jeopardizing our joy, our true joy in this life. Uh, not worth jeopardizing our relationship with God and certainly not uh, worth jeopardizing our eternal life for. God is willing to change us. He's willing to give us a new heart. He wants to give us new desires we need to do something right now. We have that picture in verse 20 of Jesus standing at the door and knocking, wanting to come in and be with us. But if we ignore that knocking for too long, uh, that opportunity may no longer be there. Uh, this could happen for a number of reasons. Your time may run out. We've mentioned that this morning, advertising the, the health seminar. None of us are perfect health. Some more than others, perhaps. I'm certainly not. I know that. Our time may run out. Um, life is but a vapour. Isn't that what 
A wise man said, time itself may run out. I don't know if you've noticed lately, um, but things have been changing in the world. Uh, we're pretty isolated here in New Zealand, quite insular, and, and so not to say we don't have problems, but you know, on a global scale, we've got it pretty good. Uh, but as you look out at the world, things are falling apart. <laughs> People are losing their heads. Uh, all those things we read about in Matthew 24, Jesus said uh, would happen before he returns, they're there. Uh, the gospel is going to the world like you wouldn't believe. I could talk about that for a while. Uh, the technology is coming online where soon the whole world is going to have access to the complete everlasting gospel. That's going to happen very quickly. Our time might run out. Time itself might run out, like we talked about in the study this morning. Um, or perhaps you might ignore that knocking for so long that you no longer hear it, or you drown it out with something else. Remember last week we looked at those foolish virgins? In Matthew 25, verse 11 to 12, when the, the foolish virgins went and bought their oil after the fact, and they came back to the feast, it says, afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. The door was closed. It was too late for them. There is no better time than now to make a decision to give your whole life to God, which is why Jesus gives this advice in Luke 12, uh, verses 35 and 36. He says, let your waist be girded and your lamps burning, and you yourselves be like men who wait for their master when he will return from the wedding, that when he comes and knocks, they may open to him immediately. God says, don't wait. This message was made available by the Masterton Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit mastertonsta.nz.
View Academy sang The Savior is Waiting. Up next, Knocking from Carly Fletcher's album Follow the Lamb. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he. Can you hear him calling? 
door of your heart He won't force His way in Yet He stands knock, knock, knocking at the door of your heart Won't you open it wide and let Him inside Knock, knock, knocking at the door of your heart He is waiting patiently He wants to be the short presentation of how God led His people after the Reformation from lineagejourney.com There is one book that almost cost Ellen White her life and that book today is entitled The Great Controversy. The origins of this book come to this rural area here just outside the town of Bowling Green in the state of Ohio. Ellen and James White have been traveling across the state visiting various families and they were in this area for the funeral of a young child. The funeral took place on March the 14th, 1858 in the Lovitz Grove Schoolhouse which would have been located just across the road from here. During the funeral sermon, Ellen White received a vision that lasted two hours. Receiving a vision during the funeral of a grieving young family is not the ideal timing, but the truth that this vision would share would be vitally important to us today. The following day, James and Ellen were traveling home by train and she relayed to him what she had seen and they discussed plans for writing out the vision. It was decided that when they reached home, this would be her first work. Yet on that train, there was what one author has described as an unseen, unpaying passenger who was determined that the world should never know the truth about himself, that it should not get published and see the light of day. Arriving in Jackson, Michigan, they went to the home of Dan Palmer, and as Ellen White was conversing with Sister Palmer, she suffered a cold, strange sensation pass over her right side and heart. Those present earnestly prayed for her, and with a partially restored strength, she was able to continue her journey here to Battle Creek. Arriving back here in this house, she began to write, but it wasn't easy. Initially, she only had enough strength to write barely one page, and then she had to rest for three days afterwards. But as she continued to write and her strength increased, she was able to progress and finish the book. In June of that year, she received some light as to what happened in Dan Palmer's home. And she wrote, I was shown in vision that in the attack at Jackson, Satan had intended to take my life in order to hinder the work that I was about to write. But angels of God were sent to my rescue. 
the unseen, unpaying passenger on that train did not want the world to know that he had been an angel in heaven, that he had fallen into sin and that he was the cause of the misery in this world. The first published account of this vision would be this book right here, the 1858 edition of Spiritual Gifts, Volume 1. This would later be enlarged into the Spirit of Prophecy, Volumes 1 to 4, and then eventually to what we have today, a five-part series entitled The Conflict of the Ages, of which the book Great Controversy is the last in the series. The great controversy between Christ and Satan would be a major theme in the writings of Ellen White and also the motif by which Seventh-day Adventists would understand as key to unlocking scripture. This book, the one that almost cost Ellen White her life, has changed lives all around the world and is the one that we should seek to share as much as possible. Ellen White herself said, the great controversy should be very widely circulated. It contains the story of the past, the present and the future. In its outline of the closing scenes of this earth's history, it bears a powerful testimony in behalf of the truth. I am more anxious to see a wide circulation for this book than for any others that I have written. For in the great controversy, the closing scenes of this world's history are given more distinctly than in any of my other books. If you have never read the book, The Great Controversy, then I would invite you to do so. And if you have, then pray and ask God for wisdom on who to share a copy with. To view more episodes in the series, visit lineagejourney.com. Let's listen to William Ackland as he shares a psalm from his paraphrase of the Bible called The Gift. Today I would like to share another psalm of David with you, Psalm 144. And it is a psalm in praise of God's preserving care. May the Lord, who is my rock, be blessed. He shows me how to fight my battles and gets me ready for the war. He is my loving God, the one I trust. He is my high tower, the one who delivers me. He is also my protector, to whom I can flee, the one who subjugates those who oppose me. Lord, what are mere humans, that you take any notice of them? And what is the human race, that you even consider them? They are like a breath breathed out, as we pass through life like a shadow. Come through the doorway of the heavens, O Lord. Come down and stand on the mountains which you shall set on fire. Flash forth your lightning and scatter my enemies. Shoot the arrows of your wrath and consume them. Reach down from above and rescue me. Lift me out of the surging waters and from the hand of the invader. For they speak worthless words and deal every day in falsehoods. I have written a new song for you, O God. I will play it on the ten-stringed lyre to praise your name. For you are the one who delivers the king, who delivers your servant, David, from the power of the sword. Rescue me now, O Lord. 
pluck me out of the hand of the invaders, for they speak arrogant words against me, and all they say is a pack of lies. May our sons be as choice plants as they grow to manhood, and may our daughters be as beautifully formed pillars, moulded in palatial style. May our storehouses be full from crops, so they may be full of food for the needy, that our sheep may multiply in the thousands, even tens of thousands, as they spread out over our fields. May our oxen always be seen with a full load. May our walls not be broken down, so there will be no cry of anguish in our streets. Happy are the people who live like this, and happy are the people whose God is the Lord. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.